0: you are capable. Words spoken from our guest, Melanie Diesel, on today's episode of the Get Over It podcast. I love this statement so much because these three words strung together are so powerful. You are capable. What does that mean? It means exactly that. When you have a passion for something, nothing can stop you. And yes, you can do this. And yes, you might fail. But no, it will not be the end of things. And no, it will never kill that passion. So when you feel that fire and you know it's right, you are capable. Know it's the right thing. And as long as you know that, and as long as you think it is, you can accomplish anything. What do you say? Let's talk to Melanie right now. Let's get over it. All right, so, okay, today our guest is Melanie Diesel, and I'm, I'm excited to talk to her about, we've got a lot of things to do. She's in content. She is the founder and chief content officer of Story StoryFuel. Um, she's a, a, an author of a marketing and business communications book, The Content Fuel Framework. We're going to tell you where to get that in a little bit. Um... You know, she's an international uh, keynote speaker. You know, she likes to give uh, really, really dynamic talks. She's a skilled presenter and recognized as one of the world's leading experts in native advertising and branded content. And if you're in the game, you know what that means and how valuable it is. So we're excited to have her on the show today. um, Melanie, thank you so much for coming to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. You know, it's always good to to meet like-minded folks and, and get to talk about what we all love.
0: And this is really the goal of the show. Like, you know, people will ask me, like, so what, what's a get over podcast about? And I'm like, we just find really interesting people doing cool things and we talk to them about their journey and how they get there. Because through all journeys, right? There are like things that go wrong and things that go right. And really you learn from both. And so like that's what we're gonna try to do today with with melanie so before we get into the journey right tell tell us a little, little bit about yourself um, introduce yourself to to the to the podcast audience
1: well, thanks for uh, for listening to my my story here, which I guess it starts really in the world of journalism. So I'm a I'm a former journalist, recovering journalist, whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> currently working in the in the content marketing side of things. Um, so I, I studied like investigative reporting, arts and cultural criticism. Like I was hardcore; thought I was going to work in a newspaper office in some middle of nowhere so you, town. You
0: know what's so interesting about that? Like I have been. I have been really, like, thinking about investigative journalism more and more lately, because I've been getting more into the news, like, as I've got older, and I totally could have seen myself, like, getting into that world, because it's, it's like research, right? It's, like, really looking into something, Um, so, and I have that as a question, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, 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 like, what was that, what, what was it that drove you to that sort of piece, the journalism part, was it, was it that, like, trying to dive in, what was it about it that you really liked?
1: So, and this kind of feeds into what I'm doing now is, you know, I have this insatiable curiosity. Like I, I need information. I'm a collector mm-hmm. of information. Same. Like I have an embarrassing amount of books. I read like a ton of audiobooks. I, I'm like a trivia nerd. Like you do not want to watch Jeopardy with me. It's not going to be fun. Like I'm going to shout out all the answers. Um, that's just like how I operate. And so for me, journalism was like an invitation to become an expert on all these different things. Every time I could work on a story, it was like, Cool. I'm gonna dig into I don't know how town mandates around traffic get you know happen or or whatever the case may be. And there's always
0: information to find, right? Like you could always find yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it was like for me it was a creative challenge. Like not only does it feed my soul in terms of I'm learning about something cool and new, and I get to share that with other people, um, but it's also just really rewarding for me to try to figure out how can I take all this information. And distill it down and present it in a way that's going to be valuable for someone else because they don't want to sit through the meeting or just listen to the whole thing. So that for me has always been, been fun. Um, So I didn't know I was going to be a journalist. But once I got to college and started taking a few introductory courses, it became clear to me that that's where that curiosity and that skill of sort of distilling information down was going to be, you know, put to its best use. And uh, I I like to think I'm still doing something very similar, even though I work with brands now, instead of just like editorial content. I, I feel it's actually even more rewarding almost because I get to teach other people to love it as much as I did, Right. Uh, and as much as I do. So that's, that's really my mission is, is helping people tell better stories, helping them fall in love with, you know, that kind of, that kind of reporting about your own brand, about your own customers and products.
0: I'm curious, just, this might be a little bit of a, uh, of a turn left, but related. I'm curious to hear what you think about how journalism has changed or shifted nowadays. So, you know, we live, you know, this, you know, we live in this era where we're writing, especially in marketing, we're writing to get things out to attract people to come in somewhere, right? And so it could be inherently flawed as someone who is a pure journalist and writer to not just write for the sole purpose of getting somebody to do something, but you know, rather than just a pure article, purely that you've, that you've, you know, you've spent time on and you put out. I hope that makes sense to you. Do you see, where do you feel like journalism, forget about the context of marketing right now, yeah. if someone's going into journalism, is it a very different place right now?
1: I mean, honestly, I feel like the perception of journalism has changed more than journalism itself has changed because the reality is – you know, the people who get into this work, we don't get into it for the money. Like it pays garbage, like the highest, you know, if you're, you could be the the editor in chief, the highest possible position at a mid-level Metro newspaper. And like, you're lucky to make 60 grand. Like this is not something you do for the money. It's certainly not something you do for the fame and fortune. Like our whole job is responding to comments. It's horrible. (laughs) You do it because you, you have a love for whatever your topic is, whether it's sports or politics or the environment that you want to cover and you want to teach other people about it. It's kind of like education in a way. So to me, I still see a lot of the same ethics, a lot of the same behavior. We're just delivering through different mediums. We're mm-hmm. doing it on live video. We're doing it you know, in a, in a blog post instead of in print. Um, but I think what has happened truthfully is it's more of a media literacy thing. I think the fact that there is so much content out there, people confuse actual real journalism, you know, done by trained reporters who follow ethics, who have a style guide, who have editors with anybody who's just putting stuff out. And I think there's value in everyone having access to a platform. But I do think it's created a lot of confusion for people where it's like, you know, I think I'm reading something that's well sourced, that's reliable, that's trustworthy. And really, I'm just reading somebody's angry rant, which is fine. But if I don't know the difference, like now as a consumer, I'm confused, you know, right,
0: right. And I think also too. For the people reading it and consuming it, I think there's a responsibility, I feel at least, to know whether or not that is someone's pure opinion and it's solely meant for them to entertain you with an idea rather than this is a very well-sourced, well-footnoted, researched topic that you might yeah. not agree with but I'm presenting with you like with some factual information so I do think again I agree with you I think that it's important and I think everybody should have the right to express it's just that your your, your purpose should be as clear right as the access to it you should just let people yeah. know so so that well, that's interesting like yeah like journalism for me um like, I think to your point, I've always viewed it as like, you know, you see a reporter, you're doing some journalists, but then I really started to really understand how investigative journalism works, the next level where you really, do. I mean, some of the, some of some big things get uh, unturned because of that work. And that require it's like a, being a detective, right? That's exactly what yeah. it's like, right?
1: hundred yeah. percent. Trying I mean- to
0: find the next answer.
1: And that so that's one of the other challenges with the way that journalism has evolved. Uh, you know, all of us have seen this that things you do online are rarely as lucrative as the the more physical versions, right? Ebooks are cheaper than regular books, right. things like that, right? The same is true for journalism. So as all these newsrooms, all these organizations have moved online we're not making the same money, you're not paying the same amount for a subscription, the advertisers aren't paying the same amount, and so there's a lot less funding for these kinds of of news organizations. And when we talk about like the big investigative things, you know, the the Panama Papers, the Watergate investigation, I mean, those kinds of things that come out of that level of reporting, that takes months. Months of full time interviewing for tens of hours, hundreds of hours, reviewing thousands of pages of documents, this is not something you do like on the side. This is a full-time right. endeavor, right? And so when we don't have the money uh, to be able to pay someone their salary to do that for several months, we don't see as many of those big stories it's true. coming out. It's true. And so we are seeing some innovation in terms of like independent ways to support that kind of thing. Um, like just as an example in Connecticut, which is where I grew up, where I went to school, uh, there's a group called the Connecticut Health Investigative Team or CHit. Uh, And it's a group of independent reporters that do exactly that kind of in-depth work around health, right, around the health of of the people of Connecticut. Um, And the newspapers pay them to to run their stories. So they've created, like, their own little uh, organization that the newspapers that used to maybe hire folks like them – can pay to subscribe and run their investigative story. Oh, so we are whoa. seeing some interesting innovation on, on ways to still support that kind of work. Cause it is really
0: important. That's cool. That's really interesting. I mean, there's been like, so in research and science, um, you make this incremental change, right? You make incremental discoveries. Like, rarely in science does someone discover something that just changes everything. And so the way they do it is they, they you know, it's peer-reviewed, published for the science, broader scientific community and everyone else. They take what you did, and the goal is to not repeat it, but then use it in advance your own. So we can move forward. The problem is it's gotten so competitive because everything, your grants, your tenure, all of that is focused on those publications so it gets really, really, it's not as pure anymore and then that thats yeah. sort of, that, that's that been sort of the real the the problem in like investigating things. How do you, I think there's a balance there to everything, just like in content creation. How do you keep it to a level of a standard? I'll talk, we'll talk about that in a little bit, yeah. but also trying to do things that will appease the algorithms that are going to help you place, right? So there's, there's a bit of a balance there like anything there always is. Um, you're not working for a newspaper now correct right so like you got over it so like you didn't do that that wasn't your journey that wasn't your route why so tell us tell us why you've made this sort of and how you made this move into more of this marketing where you are yeah
1: so I think honestly, it's kind of uh, it's kind of a, a multi-step situation, incremental, like a, like the science discoveries. So um, when I graduated, I, I had you know these degrees in in report investigative reporting and arts and cultural criticism, and those are the first two teams that get cut when funding gets low. Right? We all know arts arts and culture is always on the chopping block, uh, even like school music programs, right? Like it's always always there, and investigative is expensive, like we said. So. Uh, I had this realization that, like, I'm not going to get the kind of job, like, the kind of job that I trained for that I wanted, like, doesn't exist in the same way or at the right. same amount as as it right. did. So I had to make that first switch of, like, okay, that my goal is no longer achievable within the confines of the resources I have, so I need to shift. Um, and that's how I ended up at the Huffington Post. I had applied there for an editorial role that was uh, you know, no longer existed by the right. time they processed my application, <laughs> um, and they asked, like, "Hey, would you be interested in this job on our business team?" It's it's not really reporting. You're gonna work with our business, you know, our advertising partners and create content. But you know, the skill set's pretty similar. You'll probably like it. Um, so that was a big shift for me because. I really honestly felt like I was selling out, like I'm supposed to be this objective person and like, you know, investigate wrongdoing and all this stuff. And like, here I am, like copywriting for brands. So I had to really kind of work on that mindset to not think of it that way, because I think very quickly I realized I could bring so much value by bringing that mindset and that skill set into this world. Like, Marketers need editors. Marketers need, you know, content strategists. Marketers Mm -hmm. need someone who can research and report really interesting content with new perspectives. So I think once I got into it, I was able to see like, okay, so I can bring a lot of value here. I could still find, you know, honor and pride in the work that I'm doing. Um, over the course of a few years, you know, I've worked at a couple different publications. So I went from HuffPost to the New York Times, where I was their first editor of branded content and built out their brand storytelling team. Uh, and then same thing at Time Incorporated. I worked as a director of creative strategy. So I was overseeing the brand content programs for the 35 U.S. magazines. And basically, I realized, like, I'm I'm really in a teaching role. Like, I'm being brought into these teams to set up the infrastructure, to set up the products, to get things going. And my reach would be so much bigger if I could right. do that in an independent way. Like rather than waiting for a brand to come to me, I could just train as many people as possible versus just sort of one publication's clients at a time. Right. And so right. that was sort of the big, the second big shift a few years later where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to put out my own shingle. I'm going to like jump out on my own, uh, which was like, that was a huge leap. For me, that was a, a real big change. I mean, it is for most people, I think.
0: Yep, yep. We we. we I've talked about that with a couple of guests. Like, ever like people have those decisions where they they sort of know it's the thing that they need to do, um, right? And like all signs are pointing to it, and they just know it and they see it. But it's hard to actually take that final step because you 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 know where you are, right? Like you're yeah. you're you're somewhere, and you can do that, and that's some that's safe right? You can do it and you could be good at it. But you really know that if you went there and you do that, it could be great. But will, you know, but is always that but and then the anxiety sort of takes over. So you were able to, to do that. And did you was it was it, you know, like, was it like something you as soon as you did you really you knew like this was right? Or were you still like, mm, like, you know, what? what was that transition like?
1: Yeah. So I mean, anyone who is in the entrepreneurial space, if they're being honest with you, they will tell you like, it's not all roses and rainbows. Like there's a lot of days where you're like, what the heck have I done? Why did I do do this to myself? This was a huge mistake. Like regularly, it's just part of the emotional (laughs) journey. Um, But no, I think I had a really strong driver for why to do it. So uh, like I said, I was working at Time Incorporated. I had this huge job, this like big office that was like stupid for the level of work that I was doing. Like I, I felt like I had, you know, I, I had it made so to speak. Like I was making good money. I had this great job that I liked. I had a lot of power, a big office, um, but I, I wasn't feeling fulfilled in the work that I was doing. Like I was feeling like a cog in a wheel or a cog in a machine. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel like the work I was doing had a big impact. And and that's something that's important for me. And uh, around that time, my dad had gotten sick uh, and thankfully he's fine now. But I remember at the time I took a few weeks off of work to go be with him and help take care of him. And after a few days, the email stopped coming. And I had this realization, like, I'm not needed. Like I've, I've done what I needed to do. I've trained people. I've set up systems. Like they are no worse off for me not being there. And that's a good sign that it's, it's okay for me to go. Like it's time for me to set myself free because I'm not leaving them in the lurch. I did what I came to do. I set things up. I taught people. I I got it up and running. So I think for me, that was this moment of like, first of all, my dad's sick. Life is short. Like do your thing. Right. Um but also that realization that like, I'm not letting them down. Like that would have been something I'd be worried about. I was brought in to do this job. Um, Would I be sort of leaving them in the lurch? And I think those two things came together at the same time to say like, life is short, do what you need to do. Right. They're going to be okay. I did my job here. Exactly. And so that was around October, November. Uh, And then by February, the following year. So just a few months later, like I was out, I had laid the groundwork, set up, got my LLC, uh, so I, I had some time to plan. It wasn't like a, you know, a slam the door and leave kind of situation, luckily. But uh, I, I think I saw the writing on the wall right around then and the gears instantly went into, okay, how do I plan for what's next now?
0: So then while, I mean, while we're talking about that, so now yeah, um, story fuel, right? And yeah. so do you, tell me a little bit about how, what that looks like for you. And then I just want to talk about content the, the, you know, the field of content strategy, content creation in general, um, in marketing. Um, do you, are you, like you're saying, are you, do you want to try to touch as many people as you can? Do you do I I know you, you talk, you give talks, so that's your way of being to getting more people or, and at StoryFuel, do you, do you have certain requirements of, of certain things that, you know, when you take someone on to work with them, tell me a little bit about how, how it works. Yeah.
1: So I think that the best way to describe what we do, what I do, is more to talk about the, the mission than yep. the specific way we fulfill it. So yep. our mission is to teach people how to tell better stories. And that comes in different forms. So at various times in the life of StoryFuel, we've been heavy on consulting. Uh, we've been heavy on workshops and corporate trainings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done, like you said, I, I do a ton of conference speaking in a, in a non COVID environment. I'm flying all over the place. You know, I've spent one, 200 nights a, a year on a, on the road doing that. Um, and all of that enables us to teach in a, in a very direct way. Yep. Um, I've also done uh, like masterminds and small group coaching environments that still feels aligned with our mission. Uh, We've got like printed resources, you know, guides and templates and things like that, that help people tell better stories. Um, And most recently we launched the book as well. And so, um, all of it, it's really aligned with the mission. Like whether we decide to take someone on, I think has less to do with who they are as an organization or an individual and more about are we going to be able to help this person or organization tell better stories? And so that may mean like, do they have the bandwidth, the willingness, right. the resources, the time to actually allow us to help them? Because not everyone's ready for no, that. And I you're think right. it's as a, as a business owner. And again, as someone who's driven by impact and by that mission, I'm not going to just take a check when I know I can't help you because neither of us are going to feel good about that. You know? So it's, it really has to do with understanding people's goals and knowing is that something we can help you achieve from a, you know, a content strategy standpoint. If not, then, you know, we've got plenty of colleagues who, who may be a better fit for that, you know, other businesses or right. similar. But, businesses. Right.
0: But you're not that right. Yeah. And, but the, you know what though? And then it, what's so important about that is that, you know, you know, who you are, you know, what your business yeah. is and, you know what you're going to need to be the most successful because at the end, like, you know, the customer is going to judge you on how you did for them as well. Like they're going to learn, but also like that, that, that fair, that sort of fair broker is, I feel like you only get that from some businesses and people that know what they are and what their business is. And I don't know if, I don't know if all do right. And they're just willing to take whatever they can get, but that can drain resources so fast. And and just, you know?
1: Yeah. Like in the early days, I'll be honest, like that it's a privilege to be able to be in that position. Right. Like I have to acknowledge that. And in the early days, like I absolutely did things that were not totally in my sweet spot. You know, I ran an Instagram account for a men's shoe company for (laughs) several months. Like, you know, you take what you can get in those early days. of fun. being scrappy. It was definitely fun. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so like you, you kind of in the early days at least, like I didn't get to be so uh, so lucky to to, get right, to say no to lots you of business. you knew where you were but trying to get to exactly, like, and right, so right. at each you know relevant point to be able to say, I mean, I've broken up with clients that I've worked with for a long time, you know, kindly, like you know, uh, what a mutual disillusion, like mm-hmm. acknowledging, like, hey, I'm no longer the best person to right. serve you for this. We've hit a. It's point not where you. We it's me. You year. have
0: the. the, the yeah, it's well, not it's you, just, It's just me. It's just not a good. Right. You're right. Yeah. Um,
1: We've done great work together, but you've reached the maximum ability that I can help you with. And now it's time for you to work with an SEO agency or, you know, a video producer, like it's beyond me. Um, And so being able to to make those decisions, I think makes it a lot easier. Um, I always think my, my mom has this phrase where she says like, you'd be a really great cashier at Barnes and Noble, but that doesn't mean you should do it right. Like there's a lot of things in life that Mm. you could be very successful at. Like you could be a full-time laundry folder. Like, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should spend your time there. And so when you are clear about where you're going and, and what you wanna achieve, it makes it easier to say no to those opportunities that are not necessarily the right fit once you hit the point where you have the liberty to do that.
0: We're talking with Melanie Diesel, the Chief Content Officer of Story Fuel. She's telling us about her journey. We're now you know, coming from a journalism background, getting into content and starting her own gig. Um, and that's kind of where we are right now in the journey. I want to talk to you about just the, where content is. Um, you know, in marketing, what I've learned, you know, I started, so as, as a trained scientist, I got into marketing through content. And I feel that content is the conduit for marketing, good marketing. Without it, you don't have it, right? And what I learned is that, you know, I started in podcasting. Um, back in the day, they had a had a uh, a science podcast, and uh, what I saw about it was the power to directly connect with a certain type of person um, by the nature of the content we were giving them. You know, and if you can, if you can create something that speaks directly to somebody that provides them value and has a level of consistency to it i feel like you can that's it that's what that 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 alone right there will create something and and draw you an audience and i'm curious to hear you know just in general terms where do you see content in the world of marketing right now do you look at it as really one of the key sort of linchpins and the, one of the key components um, in, a, in a marketing strategy, in a, in a business plan, someone had to build a business plan, content has to be front and center. Do you, do you I'm sure you agree with that.
1: Well, uh, look, I'm like aggressively pragmatic about things. And so I think it would probably be oversimplifying for me to say every business needs content. Um, I think we all have priorities, especially if you're a solopreneur, small business owner, like you probably need to spend your money on, on fixing up your storefront. I'm not going to fault you for not having a blog. You know what I mean? Um, in an ideal world though, I do think that content is one of the, the best ways, like you said, to have, to reach more people, to have a deeper connection with your audience, to help them see your values, to help convert them, you know, bring them down the funnel, whatever that looks like for you and your business. And I think that also we get kind of caught up in content as a buzzword. Like
0: mm-hmm, when I talk agree. about
1: content, I don't mean like you have to have a fantastic YouTube channel and daily right. videos. Like, Correct. It just means you have a menu, right? There's stuff on that menu, right? right? It needs to convey your values, right? You, you send out emails, you send out coupons, you send out catalogs. You know, it doesn't have to be this super fancy, high-tech, elite situation. Like everything we do from social to email to, to physical brochures we print it's all content and so you have to be strategic about that communication uh to make sure that that it's giving the story that you want that it's it's sharing the message in the way that you want it to and i always remind people you know we've all had that experience where you're at some sort of uh some sort of establishment that has a a brand a perception that you have about it and then you see like a a ripped piece of paper with like Sharpie scrawled, like, you know, no cash or, you know, some sort of sign. And it's like taped with a price tag sticker on a window. And you're like, Ooh, like that is not consistent. Like that does not fit what I was expecting here. And we don't, we don't want like our email or our Twitter presence or our blog to be like that where people know us by one voice, know us to provide a certain standard, a certain, tone, you know, and then all of a sudden out of left field, like right. one of our elements of communication is just way off brand, right. like people notice that it doesn't feel right.
0: I, I, I one of the things I've seen, um, and the more I've been in marketing is that this notion of being on brand, or off brand for like, for for a small business owner, for some business owners out there that don't necessarily know marketing well, that's a concept that's just a little bit foreign. I mean, I remember that, like, you know, like, you're just, you're just doing stuff to get it out, get it out, do it, yeah. do it, do it, do it, do it. But then at some point, at some point, you have to take that, like, 360 look outside and say it's just like you do I was just say for like mindfulness the only way you become mindful is you have to be able to look at yourself for how other people see you and then you can start to make the change same thing with your business you have to see what it looks like from a 360 view and keep it consistent or at least go that way um Content doesn't have to be expensive though, right? I feel like, um, I mean, it's going to take time and time, you know, equals money, but there are ways nowadays where like you're saying you can add to your menu, but not have to like hire someone full-time to generate all this content, right?
1: Yeah. Well, like anything else in, in your marketing, there's a sliding scale, right? Like, If you think about other parts of your business, advertising, like, do you need a Super Bowl commercial if you're a local (laughs) diner that just opened last week? Probably not. Like, that would probably be super excessive and like a waste of all your money and bankrupt you. Um, Might it be useful to put flyers up at nearby grocery stores? Probably. That's probably the right budget and effort level that makes sense for you if you're just starting out. So it's really that same question, like when you're looking at. What do you need to create? What's realistic for you to create? I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes. You Mm. feel this pressure as a new business owner like, okay, I need a logo and I need an Instagram and a Facebook page and we've got to start doing videos and we make a blog. And it's like, my God, you're gonna spend all your time talking about what you do instead of doing it. And that's not productive either. So yeah, in an ideal world, would you have a, a stellar presence in all those different places? Sure, but we don't live in an ideal world. No, so figure we out not. where you can, yeah, where can you deliver consistently at a quality that you can be proud of? And if that means you only do it in one or two places because that's what you can do, then then so be it. You know, I think it's I think it's important for us to be realistic. Um, I'm not trying to be a downer, but I, I just feel like no. we look at we look at like these you know, like Gary Vee or like these celebrities who have like these empires, these media empires behind their brand. And it's like, well, I'm not that. I don't have a 40 person team. I don't have a designer on staff. I don't have a video producer on staff. So if we're comparing ourselves to that level, I think we're sort of setting ourselves up for disappointment and that bums me out. So I try to just be you know, like if you can do pick right. one platform and if you and can do it well, right. And you love it and your right. customers love it. Then like, right. who cares if you don't have a TikTok? Right. like you're right. doing it. You're doing right. the thing.
0: Yeah. That, that happened. That happened to me when I was doing the podcast, people were like, you should start a blog. And I was like, why, why do I need to start a blog right now? I'm putting all my effort into this show. So many people love it. It's great. I love it. And I have what I need in it. Like, sure, like if there's the demand that becomes overwhelming and we can have the resources to do it, I'll do it. But why take away from the primary thing that I have going and put it into something else? By the way, have you met Gary V?
1: Yeah, I worked. I worked for uh, for Brave Ventures, which was an investment arm. Yeah, advisory arm.
0: I've never met him. Is he like how he's like, is he like oh, yeah. that? No, he's, okay.
1: he's a hundred percent authentic. Like no shade to Gary Vee. That was not at all. Like the intent there. Uh, he's no, 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 no. I, I know but when life, you said, exactly when you said Gary V. yeah, I'm yeah. curious.
0: Like, I've always like, I, I thought, you, I thought maybe I read somewhere that you, you've like interacted with the work that I'm always curious yeah. to know, like someone with a personality like that. Is he like that? You know, when you meet yeah, him,
1: he's, he's a hundred percent authentic. Like who you see on Instagram and in a YouTube video on stage at a conference is who you'll see, you know, walking through the halls of, of the office. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the thing is like when Gary started, that's the thing people forget. Like we're starting out now when Gary started, he had like a crappy old video camera, him yep. alone oh, in an yep. undecorated background yep. doing wine library TV, no script, just him. Yeah. Like he didn't have a good haircut. Like he was just like, it wasn't like a production. It was just him trying stuff out. Yeah, exactly. And so when we're comparing where we're starting in our journey, don't look at, you know, 14 years of regular production and a full production team as your marker. Like, look where he started. Start somewhere similar and build yourself up to that. It's like your first day on the court. You're like, oh no, I'm, I'm not Kobe. Like, I mean, so give up? Like, that's right, horrible. Right, right,
0: no, right. You gotta start somewhere. I mean, it's yeah. I get, I, these are these statements that you hear over and over again, but they're so true. It's just a debate, like, like, and I feel like the, sometimes too, uh, you know, at over it, we'll get into these debates and they're really strong and they're really important, but at some point we have to choose something and you got to go forward with it. Otherwise yeah. there's always a reason to not do something. I could, I can give you reasons all day to not do something. Right. But what it really takes yeah. is someone to say, you know what, we're just going to do it. And this is what we're doing. And if we fail, that's all right. Then we know what to do differently on the next time around. a um, Couple things I wanna ask you before we end. First thing is sure. in content and your content approach. I know this is like a very brand dependent question, but where are you in when you're working with a client or a brand pushing limits? And I don't mean pushing limits like, extreme or like i don't want people to think what i mean is to be like rude or some sort of like i just mean like constantly you have a brand and you have like a like a safe circle right and you live in that yeah. circle and the circle could be wide right you're not always in the middle you could be further out but there's a line in the circle i'm curious where where your stance is on giving your clients direction and trying to you know push them where where do you stand in content on keeping it sort of um Th- right there in the middle or do you try to push and push and push?
1: So I think it, it depends on a couple different things. First, it depends on my relationship with the client. Like if I've known you a long time, I'm more likely to say, come on, Jerry, like, you know, it's a bad idea. It's right. not going to work. You know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm able to be a little more forward with it. Um, but you know, if it's early on, it's sometimes harder to have those tough conversations, especially if it's a decision maker that you're pushing back on someone who ultimately is going to do what they want either way. Right. Um, so I think in terms of like when I recommend pushing the envelope, I think it's it's a couple of things. The, the first is, does it make strategic sense for whatever goal we're trying to achieve? Like, are we trying to make a big splash? Are we trying to stand out or are we trying to kind of fly below the radar right now? You know, like the, does pushing that envelope make sense? Right, like don't just do it goal? just
0: because you will have exactly. like, right, right.
1: Yeah. And then the second one would be, is the reward worth the potential risk? Cause there's always risk when you're right. doing that kind of thing. Um, but sort of like, what's the, what's the risk of one snarky tweet? Like what's the worst case <laughs> scenario that we reply snarky one time? Like, how's that going to go? You know? Um, or what's the worst, you know, worst basically like play out the worst case scenario. And if it's not that serious and the reward that you play out is worth much more then like, it's worth it. I know it sounds very general, but uh, that's really the approach we take. And I think, there's a difference between what's acceptable and what's comfortable. Sometimes we have to push the comfort line more than we have to push the actual line. Like we perceive the line to be much smaller, like that circle of comfort is smaller than the circle of possibility. And so sometimes we have to stretch that comfort zone to get out to where the content is great. but yeah, I think that's, that's often what it comes down to is comfort. And if I'm being honest, if I get a client that's doing a lot of pushback and they're not comfortable with that, that's a sign to me that we need to focus a little bit more on the education. How can we help them see those right. potential right. rewards? Exactly. How could we, right. whatever fears are driving that, like, how do we overcome that? How do we explain what those, those fears, you know, whether they're, they're real or not?
0: I think that's really important because I think the only thing continually pushing on someone does is make them not want to do it anymore, right? Rather than the approach would be, here's why I'm going to make you sort of realize or not maybe realize, but I'm going to try to make you understand why this is a strong idea, and what you could get out of it, and reinforcing those things rather than just saying, "This is what you have to do. This is what you have to do." Yeah. Because I agree, the difference in approach sometimes makes you know really all the difference. And over mm-hmm. time, might not be right away, but over time, there's a trust too that I think that that comes out. But that 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 sounds like you know that's from someone who knows what it's like to educate to teach and can, you know, see the progression, right? So I think it takes a mindset to really have that sort of um, approach when you're when you're talking to somebody and trying to get them maybe to commit to something that they might not feel to be as comfortable, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that the other thing that works really well in those situations, if you're not as comfortable with pushing back, just because of the dynamic is, I I have often used the tactic of, offering two choices and explaining the likely outcomes of those two choices. So in a way, you're sort of cleaning your hands of the results. You're saying, okay, my recommendation would be to do A. I think that's going to get us closer to our goal because of one, two, and three. It sounds like you'd rather do B. And my concern there is that we won't hit our page view goal. Do you think we should still go with B or should we go with A? So it's your way of saying clearly, like, Here's the potential negative outcomes and positive outcomes of both. I'm letting you choose, but here's where my recommendation lies. And sometimes just laying it out like that, they're like, well, wait a second, why would I pick the one that's less likely to lead to the results that I said I wanted? Like sometimes right. just laying it out right. makes it right. a lot easier to see.
0: Right. That You know, I always tell my team that I'm like, you know, speak more to what actually is there, look at the data, present the numbers, present all of that with it, so that you're not necessarily the one saying this is it, you're just articulating what actually is, and that is the data and the stuff that you put forth, right? And there's a little bit that's, of a difference, but it's true. That's
1: tr- Yeah, that's true you of know, science and of journalism, right? It's, like, it's, we're the that, conduit, you gotta, you gotta do what the data right. and the facts tell you, right? right. I'm just I'm a messenger. Something, <laughs> right,
0: I'm gonna tell you something, but I got it from here, this is what it says, and it's my best interpretation and demonstration of it. Now, I don't know if that will continue, but I'm yeah. just showing you that this, according to this, right? And then it sort of takes that, uh, it's not taking the onus off of yourself, but it's putting it more on the, what what's actually there and showing the person, this is your information. I'm just sort of showing yeah. it to you. Um, one of the, la- the last, one of the last, qu- I have two quick questions. The first one um, sure. is a little um, more to do. We are, I have to make sure everybody knows when we're recording this right now. It's 2021, the beginning of 2021 coming out of this pandemic, uh, the COVID coronavirus pandemic. Um, how has this shifted what you do? So in, in content, in the way you create and tell stories, have, have you had to pivot hard on this, um, change messaging, change mediums? What has been the most significant change in, in what you do from what has just happened?
1: I think, gosh, we've all adjusted in so many ways. It's like, I don't even know where to start. I'm like exhausted by the amount of, of pivoting we've done. Um, But, like, if I'm being frank, like, I used to spend a lot of my time on the road. Like I said, I was speaking at multiple conferences a month. Like, leading into when we went into lockdown on the 13th, I spoke at a conference on March 2nd, 6th, and uh, 12th. (laughs) So, like, I flew back into lockdown like that's so that was that was my life before this right I was on the road a lot interacting with a lot of people now obviously that's not safe now I don't wish we were doing that it's not safe at the moment but uh that was a huge adjustment for me like not being on a plane for almost a year is (laughs) mind-boggling to me you know like (laughs) that's crazy yeah and and not being on stage like I I love that feeling of getting to like look into the faces of people that I'm helping and and interact with them in a social hour like I don't have that anymore everyone is just names in the chat window when I speak virtually now so that level of energy for myself and for them is a little bit different so that's been a process for me making sure that I show up in this little square on zoom or, or whatever platform we're using with the same passion and energy that I would if I were on a big stage with a fog machine and like spotlights, you know? Uh, and that's tough to conjure up. So that's been a huge adjustment for me. Um, and it's, it's touched some of the other ways that we educate people. I mean, we've had to adjust all the content of, of our mm-hmm. workshops and trainings and stuff to be digital first, not just yep. thing, but in a square. Right. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, creating a lot more resources that can be accessed asynchronously. So things like the book or, or templates and guides, things that people can access on their own time without needing me there to deliver it. Um, that's definitely a, a new direction.
0: So um, tell me, look, I, I try to end this way. So you have, let's do this. You have people people are going to listen to this. And like, like we know, right, the brains, they'll remember, they'll take away one or two things from it, right? Um, Let's just say they're, these people are pumped up, they're, they're ready to sort of take life or business to the next level. And they're like, you know, they're ready to get over it is what we say. So what do you say to them from your experience in your life? What do you say? What do you want them to take away from this as, as some advice on what to do next to sort of get to that next level?
1: In so many cases, in business and in life, you are capable of so much more than you realize. And so whether that's, you know, I don't think I'm creative enough, I don't think I have enough grit, I don't think I have a, you know, I'm I'm personable enough, whatever the case may be, uh, you are capable of so much more than you realize, you just have to give yourself the opportunity to show up. Uh, You know, and I think that, Even if it doesn't go the way you plan, you're giving yourself the opportunity to pivot, to learn, to problem solve and show up in bigger ways than you still expected. So whatever you're afraid of, don't be afraid. You've got, you've got it
0: oh yeah I love that it's so true so you can go to uh content contentfuelframework.com. did I get that right to get That's the book right. so you can go there check it out check out Melanie Melanie thank you so much uh for doing this um she is Melanie Diesel I am Chris Fasano and this is the get over it podcast where we bring people together to discuss the various ways to stop just getting through it and start getting over it